scripture reading. Please stand and we'll we'll read this one verse. You know, I I, I would challenge you to re, uh, memorize this verse. I mean, that's that's one thing really awesome about this week is that all I had to to you know to really concentrate was on this one verse. Of course, I'm I'm going out from that reading back into what what Paul has already said. But this this verse really wrapped into it are some wonderful things that you could memorize part of that uh, those this this 3 chapter 3 verse 8 in Titus it goes like this the saying is trustworthy and i want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works these things are excellent and profitable for people. Let me pray. Father, this word is excellent and profitable. The things that you have done for us, Lord, are excellent and profitable to us. When we can devote ourselves to those things, God, when we can live our life out of the truth of who you are, what you have done, what you have called us into, and what you have called us out of. God, I pray that we would know you, that these words from the book of Titus by the Apostle Paul would not fall on deaf ears, blind eyes. But God, your word says that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived the things you have for those who love you. Teach us how to love you, Lord. Give us your grace this morning, your spirit to understand, and let this word transform us. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. I hate emotional. Ah, well, Titus, um, I really have enjoyed this book. I hope you have. I mean, it's so short that you can read it over and over and over again. You know, you, you, I've, I've been reading it over and over. You know, I mean, to sit down and read through it, I don't even know what it takes, maybe, you know, five or ten minutes. Um, there's so much uh, truth there to soak into your heart, especially after... Going through Judges, right? We went through Judges for <laughs> all that time. It was kind of brutal, you know, to see the sin, the evil in the world and, and to feel this sense of uh, there's nothing I can do about it because I'm trapped, you know, and, and uh, you just get in the cycle of living. And here, of course, that's a narrative, right? It's kind of telling you a story. So you got, you got to kind of you know, don't take everything as a prescription. Okay, this is a story. That means I should live this way. No, it's a description of what happened. It's not a prescription of how to live. Hopefully, we give you the prescriptions as we preach through that word. But here, Paul gives a lot and says, do this. Therefore, if you believe these things are true, right? He gives a statement. Uh, fact, and then and then he gives you a demand. 
commands you to do something about it now if this is what you believe. So we've been in Titus for several weeks now and learning about what it means to live a godly life. Think about what that word even means, godly. Paul wants to remind us that believing the truth will lead to godliness, to godliness in the church, godliness at home, godliness in the public square. Just like our world today, you know, Paul's world was a religious world. There was lots of people worshiping gods, all kinds of gods. But everyday life wasn't considered in light of the true God, the creator God, the God who made us for himself with a purpose for living. What has this God done? You know, life has meaning because God exists. We should live all of our life in light of that truth. I was reading this morning, I thought, oh, what's today? It's the 15th. So a lot of times, depending well, whatever day it is, I'll read that proverb for that day. I've been less diligent about that in recent times. But, uh, but so I read Proverbs 15, and, and yeah, there... It tells us that God is the one who who seeks after people, right? Searching. Verse 3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. Right? God is there. He's here. He's everywhere. Keeping watch on the evil and the good. Most days you don't hear much about God, right? You might watch the news and you never hear anything. You, know, you only acknowledge God. You hear about Mother Nature and things like that. Um, there's no such thing as Mother Nature. You know, I hate to burst your bubble if you believe that. But God is the creator. The, the word says that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Right? Nothing is not God's possession. It is his. Ooh, that reminds me of, of Job. I was reading Job today trying to finish that up. I'm making my way through the scripture for this year again. And, and sometimes you just you land on a verse, right? And you think, uh, Job chapter 12, verse 10, In his hand is the life of every living thing. And the breath of all mankind. Imagine that. God has all of it in his hand. But we go about our business, right? I'll give you your time here, God, but as soon as I get out that door, it's my life. People seem to live their lives as though God doesn't exist. But all of life, listen to me, all of life is sacred. There's no such thing as sacred and secular. No, there's the, there's the sacred and then there's profane things. There's the ways that you want to live this life apart from God. But God says, no, all of life is sacred, no matter what you do. At work, at home, when you're on the potty, <laughs> it doesn't matter where you are. All of life is sacred. God is there watching over the evil and the good. Giving generously. We're going to see that, how generous God has been to us. Ultimate reality is that God is real. You haven't wrestled with that to see that even science cannot tell us 
came from. But the Bible is here. God has spoken. So let's take a look at Titus 3.8. The saying is trustworthy. This is a reliable thing. This is a faithful thing. Listen. You can depend on this. Right? Joe read some of those verses. 4 through 7. It spells out the gospel for you. Nothing that you have done has made God impressed enough to come and make himself known to you. No. God in his mercy and his grace. He had to save us. He had to transform our hearts. Right? There's a mystery to salvation. There is a mystery there. That, that when I first was, was saved, I don't even know when that was. You know what I mean? Thinking back, you know, certain people say, well, this was the day. And I think to myself, there was so many times that, that I had this consciousness of God. God, I know you're there. But did I have a surrender to him? Did I want him to, to take my life and make it what he wanted it and wants it to be? Well, I can look back and see those times when I didn't really care. I kind of cared when I wanted a blessing, you know. But I didn't care when I wanted to do something that I shouldn't be doing, you know. <laughs> God looked the other way. Time to, for me to have some fun. Not seeing that the gospel trains us to live godly lives because it demonstrates for us the love that is immeasurable. It's infinite. It's a true love. This is what love is, right? I was watching that movie about this romance and stuff. Yes, I know. There is feelings. There is attraction. When I saw my wife, I was like, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? There was attraction. There was a desire there, right? It was undeniable. We got married and, and uh, lived together, growing together. And the years passed by. And then you see a few other women that look kind of nice too. <laughs> so now what? Right? Love has to be more than that feeling. has to be more than that attraction. So who's going to define it for us? Only God can. And he does. No other religion defines God as the scripture does. If you read it, if you know the story, it's, it's an incredible story. I mean, who could make up this story? It's an amazing story. You know, you may have heard people quote, you know, the truth will set you free. Right. But most don't know the context there is Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, if you abide in me, if you abide in my word, if you know the word, you will be able to trust God with your life. And you'll really be free. Really be free. The Apostle Paul wants us to know that if we believe the truth, it will set us free to live a godly life. True freedom is Living a godly life. Living in the reality that God has demonstrated his love, has manifested himself in the world in the person of Jesus Christ. What good thing would you do right now? If you could trust God completely, what good thing would you do? But maybe you don't trust God. Maybe you don't like the way that good thing might turn out. Maybe you won't get the payback you think you ought to get for that good thing. So if we believe these things, Paul says, he goes on, 
To say we'd be careful to devote ourselves to that. Dedicate ourselves. Consecrate, right? Set ourselves apart for the truth of what God has said and spoken in the Gospel. This beauty of the Gospel. God doing for us what we can't do for ourselves. What we don't deserve out of His generosity and grace. The truth has rescued us from the sinful passions. It says that right in in chapter number 2. It talks about the, the... the renouncing of the ungodliness, the worldly passions in this present age. The desires that would enslave us. There are pleasures that will enslave you. Did you not know that? There's things that make you feel real good that will take your heart and will destroy it. That will turn you cold to the world. That if this is all I want, if I could just get this pleasure Again and again and again. But somehow it never satisfies. It never fulfills. It never comes through. But now we have the power. The power is given through the gospel to devote ourselves to what? To good works. True freedom is desiring what God desires. What does God desire? It's in the scripture. But not just desiring what God desires. You can desire what God desires and have no power to fulfill that. But God says, if this has happened to you, if the regeneration, if the spirit has come in, if something has happened in your heart, not just because you've said some words, but an actual change has happened in your heart. Suddenly the world looks different. If something has happened and you see the way God sees, a glimpse of what he sees, And you've given yourself over to Christ. There is the power to resist the pleasure that will destroy and to choose to do the good that God has called us to do. These good works can be many things, right? Paul lists a lot of good works in here. And I want to look at a couple of those here. You know, we're coming to the end. And Paul says here in verse 13, do you? Do your best to speed Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. So Paul here considers a good work as provision for these two. But they're going to need some provision. Provide for them this practical thing. Don't leave them to provide for themselves. They're on a journey. Help them provide for them. Meet their needs. And again in verse 14, he says it again. He repeats these verses. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. So as to help cases of urgent need. Where is the urgent need? Where is it? At home? At work? In the neighborhood? Where's the need? God, show me the need. Give me the strength to meet that need. That's a good work. Whatever it is. Just helping your neighbor out. Picking up some trash. Whatever. A good work. And it says at the end there, and remind them this also, not to be unfruitful. Right? When, when the scripture talks of fruit, it seems to be talking at least two different ways. One is the fruit of the spirit, which speaks of our character, right? Paul over and over again says, be self-controlled. Control yourself. Of course, there are desires that are there that we feel this sense of, I want this. Ooh, this is going to make me feel so good. 
But is it good? Does God define it as good? Or does He define it as evil? If God defines it as evil, don't, don't let me define it as good for you. Let me not be that foolish to think that way. So this fruit, fruit of the Spirit, is, is your character. It is to be changed by the Spirit as you give yourself and devote yourself to good works. But also, number two, is the fruit that demonstrates itself in how we live, right? A fruitful life. That out of our life, out of, out of my patience and kindness and goodness and love, good things. I had a conversation with someone the other day and was challenging him to love beyond his feelings. Right? He was about to marry a woman who, in a previous marriage, had already had a child, a boy who was around nine. And I said to him, I want to challenge you to love this child like he was your very own. And he looked at me real weird like, I can't do that. It's not even my kid. I said, don't you believe the gospel? How could you not love this child? What has God done for you? Can you not see that God has looked on you not with favor because you're so wonderful? The reality is he's called you even when you were his enemy. Against God, cursing God. And God has been so good. to demonstrate his love, to adopt you into his family. He made you an heir of the kingdom and given you a hope of eternal life. For what? What did you do? Nothing. Nothing. It is God's grace. How much more should you be able to love this child, I told him. He still didn't seem to get it, so I told him the story of the, the prodigal sons, right? One son who leaves irreligious to do his own thing. Give me the blessings and get out of my life. The other son stays. I'm going to stay. I'm going to show you. I, I deserve everything you're going to give me. You better give it to me now. So one leaves with the stuff from the father's table. One stays just to get the stuff from the father's table. But God is gracious in that parable. Over and over he comes to the child, comes to the son, and says, ah, don't you know I love you? want the best for you. This is the God who calls this man to love this child. Not because he feels loving. And, and, and what I told him was, I said, you, you might even think that this kid's your enemy. This kid's your enemy because he is vying for the affection of this woman you just married. He's your competition, you may be thinking right now in your head. She better love me more than she loves this kid. If she doesn't, He's going to pay for that. That's the way the mind thinks. That's the natural man who wants to do what he wants to do. But the Spirit doesn't call us to do that. He calls us to love beyond our feelings, beyond that sense of, you know, it feels good, so I'm going to do it. You see, these things are excellent, Paul says, the Apostle Paul, and profitable for people. God never gives us rewards because we deserve it. Never. Never. He gives because He's generous. 
And he's made the world in such a way that generally, this, 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 this fact boggles my mind sometimes. God has made the word, world in such a way that generally, if you, if you obey, right, do things that you know in your conscience is right and wrong, because God has given us a conscience, everyone, that even if you do that, the very least, you will have a blessed life. Okay? Right? Even an atheist will do things, be kind to people and do this. He doesn't even know why he's doing it. He thinks, well, that, that's just the way I am. No, not just the way you are. You, you're getting a little bleed off from the Christian worldview. And if we pressed you on it, you wouldn't be able to tell us why you do those. Why are you nice to people? Who cares? You're nothing and you're going to nothing. So give me what I want. and Get out of my way if you trip me up. That is the true outworking of a godless worldview. But you want your cake and eat it too, right? I want to believe there's no God, there's no obligation to me, but at the same time, I put obligations on myself to be a nice person. Of course, because I don't want my wife to cheat on me, so I won't cheat on her. But if I could get away with it without her knowing, well, then maybe that's another story. <laughs> you see, God is, God is, is blessing people. People who don't even acknowledge him. That's the goodness of God. But make no mistake. That person, each one of us must come to that realization that God has spoken. And that we do need him. And that we must truly, if we're going to enjoy this life, we, we, we need to know who God is. That's who we're made for. And when we know God, it enriches every other relationship if we truly love him and know him. He satisfies the depths of our soul. The world is still a broken place. And there will be times when we don't see the benefit of doing good works. Right? When this devotion to do these things just seems like, ah, you know, I'm just not getting the payoff here, Lord. I'm just not seeing it. Maybe I need to stop a while, take care of myself. Have some, some me time. But if we trust God, we'll know that, that, that he doesn't lie to us, right? That's, that's the way this, this book starts out, verse 2. In hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies. You know, nobody never lies except God. That's what Jesus, when he was speaking to the Pharisees, right? He says he, he knows God. He says, and you don't know God. And if I told you I, I didn't know God, I'd be a liar like you. See, God never lies. He's given us a promise. He's kept that promise in Jesus. It hasn't been spelled out for you enough. Who is this person, Jesus? Is he real? Yes. Has he changed the world? Yes. Has he changed the way we love and, and give and take care of? Yes. Changed the way we look at women, the way we look at children, the way we look at the elderly. Everything he has changed and given us a greater perspective. The perspective of God, what is truly good. God doesn't lie. And we can look into, at this, uh, this profitability, right? It's excellent, it's profitable. Paul says that 
in another place, if you, if you want to flip over, if you have your Bible, let me read it to you. 1 Timothy 4, one of my favorite verses. I, I think of this verse all the time when I, when I go to the gym. Every time, I, I can't help but think of this verse, or two verses, primarily one. But Verse 7, chapter 4 of 1 Timothy says, Having nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Silly, talking silly about things that you don't know anything about. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise. Here's a promise for the present life and the life to come. You see, I, I, I enjoy workout. You know, I, I like to do things like hike. I used to like to play racquetball and play basketball, but my body's starting to say, stop playing that or I'm going to make you pay for that. So, and there's some benefits I get out of that. Right? I'm a little healthier, and I can enjoy some of those benefits. But Paul is saying, no, godliness, being aware of God's presence at all times, has promise for this life right now, right now, and for the life to come. My physical training, I don't believe, has a whole lot of bearing on when I get my new body. It doesn't. I'm going to get a new body, immortal, imperishable, incorruptible. And the workout I'm doing now, physically, there's a benefit to me right now. But there's something greater. There is godliness. There's an awareness of God, a seeking after Him, a, a absorbing of His Word and, and, and prayer speaking to Him. The good works. That he's called us to. What is godliness? It's living in light of the awareness that God is watching. And he's not just watching. He's a loving father who desires his child to be a blessing wherever he or she is. You see, you might have a distorted view of, of what a father looks like. You know, Maybe your father wasn't somebody who loved too much. Maybe he did a few things, but you really couldn't trust the person. Or maybe you don't even know him. But no, God, our father, is Perfect in all his ways. Perfect. You believe that? Never lies. Always keeps his promise. I think back, uh, you know, when, when my kids used to ask me for things. Yeah, son, you know, we'll do that, you know, this day or that day comes, you don't do it. But I'm imperfect. God is perfect. If he's promised us something, he will bring it to pass. Why can't we trust him? Can we know it's true? But godliness is living with that awareness that a loving father who desires to bless his child wherever he or she is, right? And so this fuels the mission of life to, to give ourselves away. Give ourselves away. So how do good works manifest or demonstrate themselves in our lives? What motivates, again, that good work? What, what will bring about these two fruits? Fruitful life and a fruitful character. Right? That's what Paul wants. That's what God wants. That's what, by the Spirit, Paul is writing to us. Look, let your life be in such a way that you give yourself to God so that the fruit of the Spirit will pour out of you the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the gentleness, 
the faithfulness and self-control. But that is something that God wants for you. And that out of that kind of a character, you have fruit in your life of good works. You look to meet the needs of people. You, you feel, you weep with those who weep. You rejoice with those who rejoice. You're not afraid to feel the pain, right? I remember I, remember I was on Facebook one time, and this, this girl was talking about, you know, how wonderful this or that was. And, and I said, but what about the pain in the world? You know, ah, I don't want to deal with that, you know. You're going to steal my joy. You're trying to rob my joy. No, but, but in that pain, can we experience, if it's for the good, for the right reasons, for, for godliness, can we not embrace the pain that we will feel? Like this guy I told you about, as he embraces this child, what he's opening himself up to in that love that he's going to give away, right, to this woman he's going to marry, this child is going to now be under his roof. And so he's setting himself up to get hurt. What if he gives this child all the love that he should get? And this child says, you're not my dad. Don't try to tell me what to do. Get away from me. You're going to react in one of two ways, right? You're going to be really angry or you're going to be really hurt or both. But that's what love is. Love is sacrificial. I'm giving to you what you don't deserve. I'm giving you the right to trample all over me, to hurt me. That's what love does. That's what it did in the person of Christ, right? And let me first give you a verse, too, before I start telling you these good works in the next few minutes. Very briefly, um, Philippians, because I, I don't want you to think, wow, I got to do this. I got to do it. I got to do it. Philippians chapter two, verses 12 and 13. Therefore, Paul says again, the apostle writing to the Philippian church, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed. So now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work. For his good pleasure. You see, we're not working for salvation. We're working it out. What does this look like, God? What does it look like when I give myself in love to somebody and they trample me? Can I trust you still? Can I believe the gospel is still true? That you still have loved me and demonstrated that love. And that if I did a good thing and I hurt for it, then I'm suffering with Christ. But if I did evil and suffered, well, then I'm bringing that on myself. You see, there's a, there's a kind of a passivity that's in this verse in Titus and is here. So, so I'm, I'm working it out, but God is working it in. I'm working it out, but God's working it in. And I can't do it myself. And I want to be honest with myself and say, God, I'm done. I don't, I don't have it in me to love the way you want me to love. God, forgive me for that. For you gave yourself to me while I was yet your enemy. That's what it's about. So, you can be sure to trust God. That's what this verse is telling you. Trust. This is a trustworthy saying. Trust God. Devote yourself. Devote myself to good things, good works. 
and know for sure, for a fact that has physical training, has some value. Man, godliness has so much more. So much more. Profit, right? These things are excellent and profitable. Don't you want to make a profit? I bet you do. When you put your money down on something, you want to make a profit. When you invest in something, God says, here through the Apostle Paul, this is profitable for you. The one who holds the breath of all mankind suffers. So the good works we do should begin, as Chris had said, in the home. Right? I remember sitting with a couple once and they were complaining about their spouse and saying, uh, you know, when they, they piss me off, they make me angry, I don't even talk to them. I don't even look at me. Ignore you. And I said, that's wrong. They looked at me like I was some kind of alien, you know. <laughs> and I said, you don't even, do you know the gospel? Do you not understand the gospel? But that's not the way God deals with us. That he, God, has done for me what I don't deserve. He's given me love. How can I not love? How can I not do the kind things? Even if I don't feel it, I can still demonstrate kindness. There's, there's tons of things we do. We're not just saying feeling it, right? I get up in the morning, I don't want to go to work. I'm just not feeling it. What am I going to do? I better go to work, right? If I get that check. Oh, you're just faking it, man. Well, sometimes I got to do the right thing to get the right feeling. Right? Because I start the day or whatever. Hey, man, I'm glad I didn't, I didn't stay home. And so there's an opportunity to demonstrate the gospel in a simple way, right? There I am. I'm not getting what I want. But can I give the good work to my wife, to my children, even though they're not giving me what I want? They're not doing what I want them to do. A perfect father still loves Yes, there's discipline. Yes, there's a correction there. But do I love them and do I express that love? And, you know, in the same way with, with now, uh, as I look at my grandchildren, my desire is to bless them. My desire is to give, not to spoil them and send them home. That's not my job to spoil them, send them home. My job is to love them, to discipline them, to speak of God to them. You know, I don't have to give them a big, theological answer for everything. I, I can just simply say, look at the beauty of this creation that the God who made us made this. And, and as beautiful as this is, God is even so much more beautiful. Beautiful things come from beautiful people. Who is more beautiful than God? So the home is a sacred place. It's not a place where I do what I want. It's a place that is set apart for God. That he exists, he's real, he is the reality of my life. And I don't want to deny, deny that in my life. I want to talk of him often and never deny that he's there. So number one, in the home, the good works. Number two, the, your workplace, right? You should see your workplace, that you can live out faithfully on mission what you believe about the gospel. If you believe that God has given and loved you, when you don't deserve it. That there is more darkness in you there. That you could ever imagine. But yet God loves you more than you could ever.
hope for. Then work is not just a place where you seek to succeed, right? Everybody wants success in these days financially, but it's a place to, that you seek to help others to succeed. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be a, a, a strange place, right? Where I'm trying to make the other person better so that they even take my job, right? I mean, I've known, even in, the, even in this Christian world with, with pastors and things, where a pastor can look at somebody below him and, and say, oh, I don't want to teach you too much because my job, you might be taken someday. <laughs> oh, my God. You don't believe the gospel. Who's in control? If you are better at this, take it. Take it. It's not mine. Take it. The mission is to, to bring blessings of God into every environment. Your time at work is sacred. Again, there's not a, it's not your secular time when you're there at work. God is watching over the good and the evil, delighting in how you bless others. But what would happen in this world if we stopped trying to always look out for ourselves and instead tried to help others to succeed? to lift somebody up, to give them what they need. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's Jesus' whole life. What did he have that he, he needed from people? Nothing. And yet he gave and gave and gave of himself to demonstrate what love truly is, sacrificial, and what is truly good. The workplace is a place to do good works for others. And the neighborhood also, praying for your neighbors. You know, I'd have to say this is probably one of the areas I struggle with the most, you know, to really connect to my neighbors. I have talked to them and things. But I need to think through a little more how I could bless them and let them at least know that I, that uh, I want to be a blessing to them. And maybe it's even asking them for some help, you know, letting them know, hey, I need you too as a neighbor. So the good works for my neighbor. And finally, I mean, in general, hey, what does God call us to in good works? To be generous with your time, with your talents, with your treasures. That all that you have in life, you have nothing to boast about. If you can sing, if you can, if you can write really well, if you speak really, whatever it is. Talented at a sport, whatever it is. What do you, what do you have that God hasn't given to you? Right? Did I choose how tall I was going to be? Did I choose my parents? Did I choose where I was going to be born? What did I really choose? How much has been given to me? Why can't I be generous with my time? Why can't I sit and listen to those who are hurting? Why can't I be generous with whatever gift God has given me? Be generous with it. Give it away. Whatever treasure he's given and allows me to have. Why can't I hold it with an open hand? God, take what you will out and put in what you will. The truth of the Christian faith should keep on changing the way you view the world around you. If it, if, if it doesn't keep changing you, something is wrong. If you're stuck, that means you're not pressing into God, that you're not giving yourself over to God. 
living in reality that God does exist and everything is sacred. Not just your time here at church, but every day as you seek to live out a godly life in a crooked and perverse world where you can be a light. Not because you're so wonderful, but because God is so gracious. Trust God. Devote yourselves to good work. And know ultimately that, ultimately that God is the greatest reward. Let's pray. Father, so much I've spoken of good works, God. What are the good works that you would give us to do? Each of us, Lord, live in a different community. We go to a different workplace. We live in a different home. But how is it that you would call us to trust you in the midst of that, to know what love truly is, to look at the face of Christ, to see his life, and to want it to be manifested in our lives. That we would be fruitful in our character, fruitful in our lives as we do the good things that you called us to do. You made us to be your masterpiece, Lord. Not to live for ourselves, but to live for others and enjoy the true pleasure of you and of the true relationship that is sacrificial. We love you, Lord Jesus. I pray that your spirit would transform us, make us more like Jesus. It's in his name I pray.